0: Good morning, welcome to our Bible class for today. One week from today, Bubba Garner will be standing here in this place, and he will speak to us from the topic list that he has provided that's on the meeting ad that you're sharing with your friends and your neighbors. Today we are back in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Please open to chapter 11. 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 we will be there for study and applications in just a moment Ecclesiastes chapter 11 after prayer Heavenly Father we are so pleased to have this time we have set aside to read and reflect on thy word may we concentrate absorb what we need and respond daily by living closer to thee. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for if you know not what disaster may happen on earth... If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, but he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning you sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and then the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things... God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. First of all, when you open your Bible to Ecclesiastes and you come to chapter 11, And that first time you read the opening statement, you may have no idea what it's all about. That was the case with me. I do not remember exactly when, but at some point I read Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 for the first time, and I stopped right there and said to myself, what in the world is that all about? I didn't know what it was all about when I first read it, and then I formed a picture in my mind, and I was further confused. I mean, if you take a slice of bread and throw it into the water, what good will that do anybody? That's what my first thought was the first time I read that. The bread will float for a few minutes, and it will get soggy, and you can't do anything with it. So right in verse 1, the first time you read this, you may not immediately know what to do with it, or what it's about, or what this imagery is. You may simply draw a blank, what does this mean? All right, let's go back and start here. Consider for a moment how the ancient Hebrews used the word bread. Bread. Just start there. One example would be what Jesus said that all of us are familiar with. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, somebody might inquire, does that mean they never had any veggies or meat? No, because among the Hebrews, among the Jewish people, the word bread did not represent in every single context Just exactly what we picture. Don't picture a slice of bread from a loaf at HEB or Walmart. When you see that word bread, give us this day our daily bread, and when you see it many times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew significance of that word was sustenance. What you bring home to consume. What you put on your table to nourish your body and the bodies of those in your family. That's all wrapped up in one word in the Hebrew vernacular. Bread. Think sustenance. Our bread is what we bring home and put on the table. Our bread is our food. What we bring home from work or in the agricultural setting, what you bring home from the field or from the harvest. Now... That helps, doesn't it? Solomon says, take some of what you bring home for yourself. Take some of what you bring home for your family to nourish their bodies and give it to others. And when you do, it will not be a loss. That's the idea. I believe that's the idea. Take some of the sustenance that you bring home and put on your table for yourself and your family and give it to others and it will not be a loss. Matthew Henry says of this, Give freely, though it may seem thrown away, it isn't lost. Generosity is never a loss. Never calculate generosity in your budget as a loss. Don't write it that way. Generosity for the Christian is always a gain. Generosity guided by good stewardship is always a gain. When we engage in wise and gracious generosity, well guided by good stewardship, we're not just throwing bread away. We're not just taking our sustenance and what's in our pantry and our refrigerator and throwing it out. Do not think of it that way. Do what is good and right, even when it may be hard. And even when the results are not immediately visible. Solomon says, it'll come back. It'll come back. And then he adds, and here is the key word that tells us this is about generosity. He uses this word... The very first word in verse 2, give. Now see, when I first read Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1 and drew a blank and looked up off the page and said to myself, What in the world is that all about? What I should have done was just keep reading. And here's a case where the very next word in verse 2 is a good clue to understand what verse 1 is about. Give. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Generosity, especially when distributed prior to a disaster, is much more effective than gathering up relief money after the disaster. So generosity has good benefit. Never mark generosity in your accounting budget as a loss, Never expect generosity to come back to you immediately. It eventually will. And give even when it seems to hurt. Seven portions, even eight. And if we are generous with one another, then we're better prepared for whatever disaster may be in the future. Give a portion to seven, even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. And there may also be another meaning wrapped into verses 1 and 2. Sometimes, we prepare so well for generosity, I mean, not for generosity, for crisis, that it squelches our generosity. We may look at our groceries in our pantry and say, I'm not going to give any of that away, because there may be a hurricane this summer. Well, this commends to those who live under the sun... The good practice of generosity. These verses that open chapter 11 commend for us the good practice of generosity. It's all about coping with life under the sun, and generosity will help us. Christians hold very high the priority of sacrifice and generosity. You with me there? Ecclesiastes 11 1 and 2. Jesus said something about this. Jesus in Luke 6.38 captured the very thing that we've been discussing. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Luke 6.38. I would write down if you're accustomed to making notes in your bible alongside Ecclesiastes 11:1 and 2 I would be inclined to mark down Luke 6:38 and then alongside Luke 6:38 I'd put down Ecclesiastes 11 verses 1 and 2 In biblical times it was customary for a family to share a feast that they had with neighbors neighbors in need, and it is something that will bless you. All right? Questions or comments? Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 and 2, sound strange at first until you study it further. Cast your bread upon the waters." 3 and 4. "...if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth." And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Well, same thing may happen to you here. You come to this observation that Solomon makes about rain and trees, and you say, well, what is that? What is that all about? Well, I may not help you much, but I'm going to try. The main idea is to be proactive, to be engaged to the best of your ability, to do what you can to provide for yourself and share with others, knowing that certain things are bound to happen. There'll be a hurricane again. There will be rain. Trees will fall, and this actually has been used sometimes as an insurance passage. I knew a man once who sold insurance, and he would make reference to this passage when he was talking to a client. There will be clouds in life. They're going to be full of rain. That rain has to go somewhere. Do you have flood insurance? The wind sometimes will blow trees, and sometimes those trees will come down. They may hurt your house. Do you have insurance for that? Well, that seems pretty clever, doesn't it? But Solomon's not selling insurance. Solomon is talking to us about life. Be proactive in life. As we go through life, and we endeavor to cope with things that happen under the sun that we cannot predict, we need to always understand the possibility of future disaster, future weather that we're not having today. Spiritually and morally, we need to be engaged and proactive. Now, do you you know exactly what's going to happen to you spiritually and morally in the future? I mean, do you have specific information about the temptations? The discouragements, the things that are going to fall in your lap, the things that are going to happen to you to discourage and depress you and put you under great pressure to move away from God. Well, be proactive. Solomon's talking about life, not insurance. Be engaged and proactive now. Bring everything you can home from the grocery store to your table. Work hard for that. And then share what you put on your table with others and do it generously and it'll come back to you because things are going to happen and we all need to be prepared. Spiritually, that's where this is going. Spiritually, that's where this is going. Not just generosity with groceries, but generosity with the word of God in your family and with your friends and your neighbors because things are going to happen in the future where we're going to need to stand in the storm on a firm foundation. Be proactive and busy and responsible now. There are crises in the future that we cannot see today, but we can make some good general preparation for them through prayer and growth and Bible study, and Bible classes, and Bible reading, and gospel meetings, we can prepare ourselves for future temptation, and trial, and difficulty. And we ought to share all that with others. Have you ever talked to a Christian just out of a crisis? A moral failure? A fall deep into sin? And sometimes you'll hear them say something like, It just took me by surprise. I never expected that temptation. I didn't, didn't expect to respond in that way and submit to the temptation and fall into sin. I thought it would never happen to me. Solomon's point. Disaster can happen. There will be floods and fallen trees and there will be times when you'll need to use what others have shared with you. The implication from the context in Ecclesiastes 11 is that wise people prepare. Wise people prepare. Now, set up a contrast with what we studied the other day. Set up a contrast with what we studied Wednesday night. In chapter 10, we were talking about the portrait of the fool. And in chapter 10, we discovered images... And proverbs that were mixed together to give us a portrait of the fool. And it was pretty vivid. And we even laughed about some of it. It was so vivid. Well, back in that section, immature leaders spend their time getting drunk and thinking that money is the answer to everything. What happens when that kind of immaturity goes on in their future when a day of crisis comes? So now in chapter 11, it is wise, while you're here under the sun, it is wise to be generous and be prepared for future disaster. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. I want to take up the last part of that, verse 4. Here we are again with the imagery common in Hebrew literature of agriculture. We've already had a hint of that kind of imagery In the earlier part of chapter 11, now we have it again. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. The classic question in farming forever has been, exactly when do you plant? That's always going to be a question. It's always been a question. You've always needed to navigate that carefully. Almanacs are published. Some some of you remember the Farmer's Almanac. And one of the purpose was to try to have a good handle on when to plant and, and look at the weather based on patterns. So almanacs were published and consulted. Charts people come up with based on the seasons and the moon carefully drawn up to try to find out when to plant. Today, there's weather forecast and there's satellite imagery and there's high-tech science that farmers rely on. Farmers want to know exactly when do you plant. I'm going to tell you, I think, the simple lesson from this passage is, if you wait until the conditions are absolutely perfect, and the stars are all aligned and the conditions all match up, it is very likely you will never sow. You won't get the seed out of the bag. And if you never sow, what is the next certainty after that? You will not reap. Apply your best knowledge do the best you can and pray about it, but at some point you have to go ahead and get the seed out of the bag and into the ground. Now, once again, Solomon's not talking back in chapter 10 about OSHA regulations. He's not talking in chapter 11 about a slice of bread in a pond. He's not talking about life insurance or property insurance. So all this has spiritual meaning. So let's take this to a spiritual realm and think about it for a moment. In our efforts to teach people the gospel of Christ, the New Testament calls that planting seed. What mistake do we sometimes make? We wait until all the conditions are absolutely perfect. And then we're going to talk to so-and-so about the Lord. We wait until all the conditions are just as we expect them to be. And if we do that, it's likely the seed will never come off the page and get into their heart. So you do your best with prayer and know that if you do nothing, the result will always be the same no reaping, no harvest. Do the best you can, knowing that when you do your very best, it will never reach the level of absolute perfection. But you're going to do the best you can. You're going to be active. You're going to share with people. You're going to try to put food on your table and help other people. And in life, you're going to try to do everything you can spiritually to be prepared for disasters spiritually and morally that you can't see now. The rain, the tree. The disaster, the hurricane, they come spiritually and we have to be prepared for them. And that's part of life under the sun. Questions or comments? There it is. He who observes the wind will not sow. You know, you can just see the farmer out there watching the wind, seeds in the bag. And he who regards the clouds, now he's looking at the clouds, seeds in the bag. At some point, you take your best knowledge and you get to work. You get to work. That's what that's about. And we're going to go to 5 to 10. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child... So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Solomon over and over again talks about what man doesn't know. Humanism, the popular secular philosophy says, man can know it all and man will figure it all out and man will fix everything. Solomon says, no, you're not going to fix everything because you don't know everything. You don't know how everything works. You do not know. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now see, there it is. Get busy. Be responsible. Do what you can with the best knowledge that you have, knowing that your knowledge is limited. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Don't get so wrapped up in trying to figure perfectly everything out that you don't see the good things in life. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. That's the rain and the trees. All that comes to vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. I tell you... Young men like the first part of verse 9. Right? Just love the first part of verse 9, but it's got to rest. The rest of verse 9. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. That's going to lead us into chapter 12 where it says you're going to get old. If you don't die, you're going to get old. And there are going to be some things associated with old age. We're going to have to wait for that another time. But we're going to talk more now about 5 to 10 that we just read, 11, 5 to 10. The question that comes up in exploring this section is, and all the commentaries dig into this page after page, is this a single paragraph with one primary theme? Or is this a series of Proverbs that are just listed and and not really connected? That's the question that comes up with respect to verses 5 to 10. Uh, Let's take that up. Seems to me 5 and 6 bear a connection with the previous verses in this way. We do not know everything in advance. So we do the best we can with the present knowledge we have. And as I said a moment ago, doing nothing always will yield the same result of zero. So we do not know everything. Man's knowledge is limited. We do not know everything in advance. So, in fact, we do not know everything, period. You do the best you can with the present knowledge you have. Get busy, get to work, be responsible. So it seems to me five and six can be wrapped with four. So let's try that. Let's go four, five, and six and see if it wraps together. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes uh, uh, to the bones in the... as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper this or that, and whether both alike will be good. So we do not know exactly how everything's going to come out. We're not prophets. We cannot uh, predict the fortune. So that limitation should not motivate inactivity. I ought not to sit down and say, well, I can't know everything, so I'm going to do nothing. It'll kill me. And it'll squelch any good influence I might have on anybody else. I can't just say, well, I'm limited in my knowledge. I don't know everything, so I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to put the seed in the ground and I'm not going to reap, not going to put anything on the table, not going to share it with anybody else, not going to be prepared for disaster because I don't know everything. I'm just going to sit right here. No, that's that's not the way to live in your life under the sun. One commentator said, Solomon highlights our ignorance with respect to what God is doing. Our emotional response may be to throw up our hands and quit and sit down and do nothing. The biblical advice is keep working because we never know when or how God may choose to bless our efforts. Not working due to discouragement or depression is warned against and will have the net result of zero. Solomon's helping us cope with the vanity of life under the sun. Seven and eight. Life is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. I heard this expression one time, and uh, I, I don't remember in what context. I suspect it was a book I was reading or a preacher I was listening to. He said, live while you're dying. And at first, that will strike you odd. Live while you're dying. Well, here's what that's about. We're all in the process of aging and dying right now. Now, you may not be in hospice care, but you're dying. You're moving in that direction. And so the saying was, live while you're dying. Solomon tells us that in Ecclesiastes with a variety of reality checks. Solomon says, yes, you're getting older. You're getting closer to death. You're not young anymore. He says that to those who are not in that state anymore. You don't know when the rain is going to come and the tree is going to fall, but live while you're dying. That's the idea. Enjoy What God allows you to have, the light and the sun. Haven't we enjoyed the sun yesterday and today? Solomon says, rejoice in them all. Instead of saying, well, the sun is here today. It'll be cloudy on Wednesday. That's not not an attitude that'll get you through life under the sun. Uh, The weather's never going to be just exactly what you like every day in the future. I love it when I check Facebook and my friends are saying, Wow, this is such a great day. And it's good to rejoice about a great day. Even if you know that that they're not all going to be great. Rejoice in the ones you have. And then I read to you verses 9 and 10, and I've already given up to you part of what I was going to say about it. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So at first it sounds like Solomon is saying, go ahead, boys, have a good time. Solomon, of course, means have a good time within the valuable constraints of the wisdom that God enables us to have. Have a good time within the valuable constraints of wisdom. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth, but you have to keep well in mind the final judgment of God. And you have to understand you're not always going to be young. You can ask many, many people who are here today and they'll testify. Old age is ahead. Hard to think about that when you're 21. you got all that energy. Old age is ahead, so get focused in your youth on the fact that you can enjoy what God enables you to have and the energy that you have in your youth. But remember your Creator in the days of your youth for all these things God will bring you into judgment. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I've got a few more minutes, but I want to pause for questions or comments. Yes, Brother Kaufman. Uh, your statement in regard to living as you got, very wise. It is. It is. There is something in science called the second law of thermodynamics. If you've ever studied that or you know what that's about, you know that we're all moving toward decay. Some of you know it very well, but we're all moving toward decay. Now, that becomes the lead-in into chapter 12. Because in chapter 12, the first part of chapter 12, we're going to study Wednesday night, Solomon gives this vivid, perhaps the most vivid description of old age, You'll find anywhere in the Old Testament, or maybe anywhere else, vivid description of old age. And some of us read it and say, yeah, that's me. Then he says, remember the Creator in the days of your youth, before those days come. We're going to navigate all that Wednesday night. Thank you, Brother Kaufman. Takeaways. Live while you're dying. In the uh, opening verses, an obvious lesson about the value of generosity that is echoed by Jesus and the apostles. Generosity in the Bible is never about just randomly handing out money. You know, you could drive around uh, MacAllen or Edinburgh with uh, $20 bills and just pull up, and I'm sure the receiver would take them. That's not the way the Bible describes generosity. You give somebody a handful of cash and you feel good about it. Much deeper than that. It is about reflecting in your opportunities the generosity that you have received from God. God didn't just reach his hand out of heaven and said, here, salvation. You became a receiver of what God offered. You became a receiver. It was based on the death of Christ. So you think in these terms, God has been gracious to me. I ought to be gracious to others. God has given me what I didn't earn. There are times when I need to give people what they didn't earn based on their need and their receptiveness of what I'm willing to give to them. Proverbs 3.27 Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to act. And then the deeper application of generosity is giving people the greatest thing you can give them, which is not physical bread. It's this. That's the greatest thing you can give to people. Invite them to the meeting so they can come partake of this nourishment. Number two, verse 9 causes me to say to young people, um, I, I guess I've already said this a couple of times, have a good time, but with each choice that you make about having a good time, stop before you execute the choice and remember this, God will bring you into judgment. I think one of the issues with youth is impulsiveness. That looks fun, I'm gonna do it. Everybody else is doing that, it looks fun, I'm gonna do that. If we could just get young people to slow down, if we could help them and influence them toward discipline and pause before an attraction becomes a destruction, just pause. Have a good time, young folks. But with each choice that you make about having a good time, before you execute that choice, plug in this phrase, God will bring you into judgment. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study. We will resume in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Wednesday night. Thank you.